Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. The scripture reading for today comes from the book of Luke, chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And so the crowds asked him, What then should we do? And in reply he said to them, Whoever has two coats should share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food should do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed to you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations, and be satisfied with your own wages. Thanks be to God. Our Old Testament passage comes from the prophet Zephaniah, and I will be reading from the third chapter. So let us listen for the word of God. Sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. At that time, I will deal with all the oppressed who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Exhaustion. Everyone here has known it. At one time or another, we've all been spent or burned out on life. We've known physical exhaustion, triathlons, caregiving, residency, a long day with a toddler who refuses to nap. We've known mental exhaustion, traveling abroad when you don't speak the language, studying for boards and exams, putting together IKEA furniture. (laughs) We've known emotional exhaustion, steadying a friend with depression that has her on the ropes, pacing in the waiting room for hours, sitting in a courtroom through hours of testimony, the last quarter of the Ohio State game, Leaving worship last week, a young couple told me they could be more involved in our Advent activities, but for what they called engagement exhaustion. 
That feeling you have when nearly every available moment there is something to do, somewhere to go, an expectation to show up. Beyond mere moments, the totality of life can be exhausting for some. People living in shelters because their neighborhoods have been turned into ash. Folks returning to miles of their city carried away by wind and water. Parents and children escaping persecution en route to an uncertain outcome at the border. Survivors trying to live in a bombed-out Syrian village. Life is exhausting. Yet exhaustion rarely lasts. By choice or by necessity, sweet relief inevitably comes. What beats us down is most always temporary. That's how we keep on going in life. Jason Fried once said that sustained exhaustion is not a rite of passage. It's a mark of stupidity. We're not stupid. We find a way beyond our seasons of weariness and fatigue. The people of Judah and Jerusalem weren't stupid either, but they were stuck. In a time of almost universal godlessness, corruption, and idolatry, the nation of Judah had sunk to depths of degradation hard to fathom. In the depths of their sin, every fiber of this nation was fatigued. Everything took effort. To those frightened and flattened people, Zephaniah comes. And into any pocket of hope they have left, the prophet in the first two and a half chapters of this book pours his predictions of disaster and judgment. Broken and ashamed, they are scared to death of the punishment their faithlessness will merit. John Calvin wrote that for these, fear prevailed in their hearts as if they were lifeless, rendering them with limp hands, unable to raise even a finger to do anything. Sustained exhaustion. Human beings, when relief cannot be found, when what we most yearn for appears impossible, when there is no anticipated end to our exhaustion, we disintegrate into depression disengaged hopelessness. That was Judah in the 7th century. That is likely some folks you know living right now in the 21st century. Although Christians, like everyone else, are vulnerable to such exhaustion, we are supposed to be different. Relief comes in our belief. In our genetic code is the DNA of hope. That which Calvin said animates us, leaving vigor in our bodies so that alacrity appears everywhere. When doubts creep in, we look to a God who made a shoot to grow out of the stump of Jesse, providing a savior for us 2,000 years ago, a gift still given. Advent is a time, a season to buck us up. In our fatigue, we are watching and waiting to see Christ breaking in even now, signs of his coming Our divine purpose is to join with what God is doing no matter how small it seems. Jürgen Moltmann describes our theological essence as this. Hope is the expectation of a good future which rests on God's promises. People of faith believe and live those words. No matter what, we have unfettered access to deep, unending joy The path from deserved judgment to unending joy is to give ourselves over to this babe, to welcome him, to follow him. Today, in the passage Genevieve read, the prophecies of punishment pivot in our direction. 
Finally now, Judah hears words of hope and restoration, of praise and joy. King Josiah's reforms will soon return Judah to good favor, to be lockstep once again with God and devoted to Yahweh. Their ears hear that a remnant will see salvation, that all is not lost. Redemption is coming. Their shame and who they are will be turned into praise for who they are becoming. Anything and everything is possible. Sounds like our gospel, doesn't it? Even if you are too beaten down to lift a lifeless finger, lift at least your eyes to see that a new day is dawning. That's what we believe. Except when we don't. When we don't know. When we can't believe. When memory fails. When we're so tired and exhausted from hearing again and again that things are going to get better, that promises are just words. Even the greatest believers of our times have times of doubt when we feel powerless or insignificant, doubting that anything we do matters, times when we fear that the enemies of good and the enemies of God are winning. Exhaustion comes from feeling obligated, even called, to do too much in a world where we can see no impact, no result, no difference. On a podcast last week, listening to a litany of everything wrong with our world that appears to be in chaos, I heard Richard Haas, author of A World in Disarray, say, this is the new norm. I never thought when I wrote a book with disarray in the title, I would be an optimist. (laughs) The proliferation of turmoil across our globe and through our government draws me to Tracy Letts' play, August, Osage County, We're in a pervasive, corrosive milieu of fear and a grim resignation of our time. Her character says, thank God we can't know the future or we'd never get out of bed. Six years ago on Saturday morning, we did get out of bed. After the slaughter of those innocents at Sandy Hook Elementary, we all thought something would change. Passionate, reasonable people, faithful people advocated for increased gun control measures. So did the people after Pulse and Charleston and Vegas. So did this year's Florida high school students who hit the road to Washington. Little changed. Six years later, it is a little harder to get out of bed for me, if I'm honest, feeling somewhat resigned to inevitability. On this and so many other concerns of our time, people of faith are allowed to feel the exhaustion that comes from toiling on. God knows it is hard to keep up hope all the time. When do these prophetic promises of rosiness become reality? When does the eschatological hope the church keeps pointing to come down to earth to shape finally our ethics? that our people and our planet would be known for justice and peace and love. I can give you more words of hope. I can tempt you with restoration. I can tease you with joy. Or you and I can come before God and ask, what must we do? Lord, our exhaustion is before you. Expectant exhaustion is both the Christian condition and the question before us. What must we do? The answer, action.
out of the wilderness, a powerful locust-eating preacher, John the Baptist, found that his people were in much the same place as Judah, fearful, fatigued, in need of hope, sinners too. But rather than offering a rosy promise of reality like Zephaniah, he bends differently. First, to the whole crowd hungry for hope, John serves up bleak images of the wrath to come, an axe at the root of a tree, and chaff painfully scorched into ash. And then this, someone is coming, hope in human form, and he is coming with demands. The crowd, the tax collectors, and the soldiers, exhausted and afraid, will have at least a finger to lift because they have at least a question to ask. What must we do? John is specific. Not rosy, not global, practical. Sorry you're tired, but it is still about action. But hold on. Reframe. Start smaller. Do something with what you have out of who you are. The Baptist admonishes the crowd to share their wealth with those less fortunate. He commands the tax collectors in a job known for collection and greed to be fair and more honest as they do their work. He says to the soldiers, be warned about the greed that your position enables you to act upon. Forbidding all three groups from comforting themselves with their communal heritage or their history John knows that we meet and follow Christ in a personal way. He is personal for these three groups. You, whoever you are, start there. Start in your own way. Start where it matters the most to you. Do what you are doing, but do it more decently, less exploitatively, and do what you do with deep respect for the human dignity of those whose lives you touch. That's all. That's all you must do. In our weary world and in our personal places of fatigue and exhaustion, born of fear and frustration at the state of the world, John's advice is for us too. Tired as we are, even in times of great doubt, when we've heard it all before, start somewhere. Do something. For whatever you do, if it's given over to God, anything you do will be enough. Lauren Isley's story comes to mind of the man walking along the beach who notices a boy picking up something and throwing it into the ocean and asking him what he's doing when there are miles and miles of beach and hundreds of starfish. The boy boy replies that the surf is up and the tide is going out. And if he doesn't throw them back in the ocean, they'll die. The man tells the boy it's pointless, that he can't make a difference. The boy bends down and picks up another starfish and throwing it back into the surf, he says... I made a difference to this one. No matter what our fears and our fatigue, we can welcome real change and life and new life and hope, but only if we start somewhere. In 1985, in remote India, a five-year-old, Saru, got separated from his mother and lost on a train that traveled for days, finally depositing him on the streets of Calcutta in a part of that vast country where... He didn't speak the language long before GPS and in a culture where children are often alone. After months of scavenging by grace of one observant teenager, Saru was picked up and sent to a Dickensian orphanage, another sea of abandoned humanity. 
by the grace of one female social worker, Saru was protected from harm there. One man, one woman made the difference. And then one couple in Australia who adopted him in the years to come against all the odds, he was reunited with his mother. It is impossible not to shed tears of joy at this true story in the film Lion and find our exhaustion lifted just a bit. We aren't obligated to do it all, but we are called to do what we can. And in a country where 80,000 children go missing every year, 80,000, these people made a difference to that one, Saru, a starfish. And that's something. The Talmud tells us, do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now. Love mercy now. Walk humbly now. You are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. To Zephaniah's Judah, the prophet gives words of hope we want to wrap ourselves in. But when hope leaves us cold, and change takes too long, and it's too hard. We need John's word to speak into our exhaustion and resignation. We aren't stupid. We are faithful. Relief will come when we give what we have to God. This babe is sweet relief incarnate. And so we offer what we do have to him, for he will use it. We can't change the world, perhaps, but we can change something. We can't do everything, but we can do at least one thing. To the one starfish, it mattered. To the one orphan, it mattered. And it will matter to this one church, and it will matter to our one God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray together as the people of God. O Holy One, it sounds strange that you ask us to rejoice. The world seems broken, the weather out of controlled fires, rage, hurricanes, ravage, but you call us to rejoice in all things. Rejoice, as the psalmist says, for you have made this day and every day, and we shall be glad in those days. Rejoice amidst the brokenness, amidst the strangers amongst us. Amidst those women and men living on the street, amidst our world that seems ever fractured and our politics that seem ever lost, you bring us to this word, rejoice. So let us find joy, O God. Let us find joy in the singing and the prayer. Let us find joy in the time that we spend together. And let us find joy in the places where we start a word of justice, a moment of joy, a sign of peace. Let us break bread, give bread, share our resources so that people can be fed and housed. They may be kept warm and dry and that families may have a hope of living together. So help us, O God, to center our lives upon the joy that comes into our midst this day, a joy that comes through song and word, through prayer, through praise, a song that comes through a community of faith, joyfully singing, praying, and worshiping together, a community centered upon Jesus, our Christ, who taught us when we pray to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.